0: Welcome back to the Last Word on Sens podcast. As always, I'm your host Alex Metzger, and joining me today, making his return to the podcast, it's the one and only Steve on Onsen. Steve, thanks so much for joining me. How's it going, man?
1: Uh, things are great. Um, you know, it's hard for things to not be great these days with uh, your Ottawa Senators. So uh, glad to be back. Glad to be uh, talking some sense, and just getting increasingly excited for the season to start.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the vibes around this team have been at an all time high. Like. Definitely highest since 2017, uh, maybe 2018 when they made the Duchesne trade, but um, and for good reason. Like, this is, I, I think, even you know, compared to back then, there was definitely some reason for worry when they were making a trade like the Matt Duchesne trade. But every move this offseason has been just like unanimously accepted and and rightfully so. I mean, it's been just an absolutely amazing offseason by Pierre Dorian. And he, uh, we get into September here and he doesn't stop doing that work. Uh, It makes a pair of signings, one much, much bigger than the other. Uh, But we're going to get into both. Let's start with the biggest one. Uh, Tim Stutzla signs an eight-year deal to stay in Ottawa, $8.35 million. So he will be a send for the next nine seasons because, of course, he's still on his ELC this year, which is kind of crazy to think about, uh, if you ask me. Um, What were your thoughts on this deal? Uh, Were you surprised that it happened already uh, the timing of it or anything? And then give me your actual opinion on, you know, the the AAV uh, of the deal. Uh,
1: yeah, I was definitely surprised that it happened. I don't, you know, things have been, one thing with the Sens lately, right, has been there have, there hasn't really been uh, a whole lot of leaks before they make uh, big splashes, like um, like the DeBrinka trade kind of came out of nowhere. Well, it was draft day, so maybe that doesn't count, but um, you know, you, you, don't hear that kind of those leaks that you heard like way back in like 2018, it seems like they've learned their lessons about keeping kind of a, a tighter ship. Um, so yeah, this one definitely came as a, as a huge, uh, surprise to me, but, um, you know what, if, if, uh, that were me being a Pierre Dorio, I think this is the exact kind of gamble you have to take. Uh, you're sitting there with, a, a, a really, a player who had a great second half of the season uh playing with uh Alex Forman and Connor Brown, good players, but they're not Cla- Claude Giroux and Alex to bring it, right? Uh so uh, I think this is a, a great gamble to lock him up long term uh before he ends up playing uh, with better line mates uh, a year before he you know he matures another year. Um like I you know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he's a point for game player this coming year. And if that's the case, you know, maybe that 8.35 number is, is you know, closer to nine or higher than nine. Uh, so uh, if you're if you're looking to to um, solidify your core uh, and, um, you know, lock him up to a long-term contract, uh, you know, I, I think this is a great move by, by Pierre Dorian to do this.
0: Yeah, this is a slam dunk gamble, in my opinion. You know, like it's, the way I describe it, it's one of those things where, he, most of the time, I think he's going to be worth this contract. I think this is a great, just as you said, I project him to have a huge jump in points this year. You know, he he put up 58 points in 79 games last year. Again, men- as you mentioned, playing with guys like Connor Brown, who are great player, you know, very solid NHL players, but he's playing with, he's going to be playing with actual difference makers this year. And guys like Giroux and especially Alex Dobrynka. And yeah, his point totals, the only reason they might not explode to what you think is if you might get bumped down to power play, too, just with how many options they have on that first power play unit. But for the Senators, it doesn't really matter, because if he's even a 70-point player who takes another step in playing a good possession game and you know you see the jump in wins, that's all that matters to you. You know uh, This team wants to win games this year. They don't care about individual achievements, or they shouldn't be caring about individual achievements, right? It's more about trying to take that next step and become a playoff team. So to me, this deal is just an absolute great gamble because I think most of the time, you know, like if you project it forward and then say you play this over a hundred times, I say most of the time it probably works out to where I'd be surprised if he's not an $8 million player or more over the next eight years. But if it doesn't work out, honestly, the team's, I don't want to say screwed, but if he if Stutzler isn't the player you think he is, this team's rebuild is kind of not, not screwed isn't the right word, but you're on a big back foot in terms of being a contender, right? If he's not the guy you think he is, and there's no reason not to think that he's going to be a great player, right? And I'm not saying he he doesn't have to be a top ten player in the league for this contract to be worth it, because. The other thing is $8 million now, and especially going forward, if the cap continues to rise, like it's projected to is not what $8 million was even three, four years ago, you know, like this 8.35 to me is much more comparable, comparable to say like the $6.9 million that William Nylander signed for back in, I think it was 2018, you know, with the cap already going up a million or two and it's projected to go up at least another million next year when he could have signed this deal. So I absolutely love this gamble by Dorian. I think this is the kind of contract you should be signing for eight year terms. Um, You know, I would much rather gamble on this guy than pay $8 million to some 28 year old free agent, like a JT Miller. He just signed a massive contract with the Canucks love JT Miller as a player. That contract kicks in when he's 30. I just don't think that's great value. Much rather see the team lock in one of their draft high drafted key pieces and, you know, take a bit of a shot on him. And, And again, like, Part of me doesn't even really think it's a gamble because I would be, I would be genuinely shocked unless he gets injured, of course, that if his point per game doesn't rise this year.
1: Yeah, and I think the the key element is that if Stutza doesn't pan out, regardless of this contract, the rebuild's kind of screwed. Uh, so I, I like the move to kind of go all in and say, you know, this is our guy. Um, we're going to get him locked up, and I do like like you said, I echo all those points about the cap rising. Um, this could. Be a contract that ages really well. Um, I think when you look and it, it's when you're a Sens fan, it's very easy to compare um, to uh, our provincial rivals. Uh, but uh, when you just think about timing, the Leafs signed those big contracts right before COVID hit and right before the cap uh, froze. And so, uh, compared to the Sens, where all the the contracts the Sens have signed, which have all, with the exception of Shabbat, have all been after COVID, uh, you know they're getting pretty what I think will be pretty good value all around, you know, the $8 million a year mark. So uh, I think that the sense of also, uh, you know, through um, you know, they didn't really do this intentionally, I'm sure, but they've, they've nailed it pretty well with, uh, uh, with COVID and the the cap um, likely rising uh, in the, in the very near future. So yeah, I think this age is definitely um, very well.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like comparables, you know, to me, I, I've been saying this all year, and there was that ridiculous tweet that went around about a guy comparing Jack Hughes' point totals this year to Stutzla's this year, despite Hughes being a year more in the NHL. But Jack Hughes is the exact type of breakout season, I think, you know, you could see comparable to having, you know, Stutzla uh, having this year, where last year, Jack Hughes in the shortened season, 31 points in 56 games. The talent looked all there. He just couldn't put it together for the, the full season. You know, this year he got injured, but he put up 56 Points in forty nine games. Now, I'm not saying Stuttslo is going to play on a ninety five point pace or whatever that would equal out to or anything like that. No, we're not
1: saying he's not going to do that.
0: Exactly right. Like a, a similar jump could be made where it's like if you told me he plays seventy five games this year and put up eighty points or eighty two points, I don't think anyone should be shocked by that because the the talent is clearly there. The growth has been there too. This is clearly a guy that um you know. I, I think sometimes this gets overrated, and maybe I'm overrated a little bit, but it's clearly a guy who's already made it known that he wants to work on the stuff that he's not quite as good at to get better and you know that should be an obvious thing I think for a lot of people but we see in the league sometimes it's not and you know I just kind of go back to Artie this year his defensive metrics improved over the season from first season to second season and you know one of the things he said at the beginning of the year too was like yes this was something I wanted to focus on which is you know cool to see and I don't know you know, how much you can put into that sometimes other than watching tape. And, and, you know, I think part of it's just naturally growing anyways, but it's clear, you know, that this is a guy that I don't think you're going to have to worry about him, you know, not putting the effort or the time in or whatever, because, you know, he's made it very clear that he wants to win and going to be any part to do that with the team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing that really stands out to me uh, about Stutzla is that, you know, on top of the, the skill and on ice talent is that, Um, He just seems to have a tremendous attitude off the ice. Um, The most obvious example being when he was doing his uh, his 1200 interview after the contract and asked what, uh, you know, it's going to be his first purchase uh, after signing the contract. And he brings up that his parents uh, will get to retire. Um, But even then, like when you you, like someone asked him about um, individual goals or um, his own on ice performance, he always brings up that uh, it's the team first and that it's about winning more than uh, his own individual stats. So, um, and uh, like you mentioned, he's always talking about what he can improve on. So, um, you know, this is a guy who, you know, that's one thing the Sens always always talk about is is high character guys. And uh, I think Stutzla definitely fits that mold. So um, I think going forward, um, my my concerns about uh, this contract, about Stutzla are all pretty low, I would say.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Me too. Like, I, I think there's, Genuinely, and I'm not saying this is a huge risk either, but I think there's much more risk in, say, the Josh Norris contract absolutely. than there is in this one. Like 100%. So, yeah, I absolutely love this deal. I love that the Sens got ahead of this. You know, um, not that they had to. Like, we saw them get Norris done. Bathor- or Batherson got done, obviously. Um, you know, Kachuk got done a little late last year, but he got done. His contract got done. I wasn't ever worried about them signing Stiflo, but the fact that we don't have to go through this entire year going, Oh, you know, what's he going to make? What's he going to make? Because we're already going to do that with a guy like Alex to Let's be honest. Um, but the, the fact that we don't have to sit through that is just so wonderful. Um, and, you know, it, it sounds like already the reports are they're now focusing on Artem Zub that they want to resign as well. And then I saw Freeman report that he thinks to it'll be the next guy in line after that too. So um, they, it's clear that they are committed to this core and, and you know, I, I think that's fine. Like they've, you know, you've made your bed now and, and quite honestly, like you you have to change the tide some. You can't just keep being a bottom 10 team. And, you know, it's clear that they believe in this four core. And then obviously I think they're expecting Jake Sanderson to be a massive part of this team going forward as well. Um, and I'd like that. I'm really, really excited for this season and, and you know, what it brings. And like, I, like I genuinely can't remember the last time that the vibes were this good for this team. Like it probably was 2017 run, maybe 2018 start of the year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the thing that's the most exciting about uh, all of this is really, um, they bring in all this talent, uh, they've made these uh, big signings, um, but the only player they've, or prospect they've traded away is Philip Gustafson, right? Like their prospect pool remains very stacked. So if you, you know, look forward, you still got Ridley Gregg for three years on an entry-level contract. If you're a contending team, that's like that. Those are the kind of players that are extremely valuable to have. That can uh, be those skilled depth forwards that um, you know make a difference in a playoff uh, series. Uh, you still got Jake Sanderson for for two years on an entry-level contract. You still got. Uh, I mean, Pinto was due for a contract after this year, um, but I mean, borrowing him having a huge breakup. I think he can be a really good uh, bridge contract candidate. So. Um, I think on top of, you know, the, the big names, the big contracts, you still got a really solid group of of depth players and prospects who can slide into being really good depth players, um, which makes me so excited, not just about this season, um, but about, you know, the next two, three, four seasons, it's, it's seems like we're really building to something uh, which hasn't really been the case since, um, you know, the, the, the late nineties, early two thousands, which I, you know, hardly remember so um it's uh it's an exciting time for the sense absolutely
0: yeah that's a great point because you know even in those years where they made the amazing playoff runs in 2013 you know made the playoff like the hamburger run in 2015 and then obviously that 2017 conference final run you know those were great memories but it's not like this team really ever had a dedicated plan they would go from rebuilding one year because they missed playoffs to you know, having a great magical run the next year, and then suddenly they're actually good enough to be a playoff team again. And then they miss the playoffs by 15 points the following year. There was just no real dedicated plan. And, you know, yeah, that's absolutely changed. You can see the plan here. This is the year they want to make playoffs or, you know, at least compete for playoffs. I don't know. I, I think with all the moves made now, I would have to assume internally the goal is playoffs. You know, um, I'm not saying they need to make a deep run at playoffs, but I, I do think that wild card is probably what they're looking for this year and you know it's not the end of the world if they they just barely miss out on it or something like that but um you know i I think in the next two three years they want to take that jump from being not just a playoff team but a a team that can compete with these really good teams in the atlantic division like florida like tampa and and you know as much as we laugh because they haven't made out of the first round like the toronto maple leafs who you know, had, I think 115 points last year, there's some heavyweights still in this division. And, you know, it's, it's clear that they want to take a step to become one of those teams.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, um, like you were talking about the, the 2013, 2015 teams, like it never really felt sustainable. Uh, right. And so I think what, um, what they kind of realized, uh, is that in a market like Ottawa, where you're not going to be you know the Rangers bring in big name UFA's. You're not a big you know destination for players. You have to find your competitive advantage, and the Sens' competitive advantage really is drafting uh, and developing. So I think that's kind of the the the, the calculus behind um, their you know plan that started about five years ago um, to to rebuild this team. But yeah, I definitely um, I am fully on board. My expectations are playoffs. Uh, I think people are being a bit too um, modest about saying you know maybe maybe we'll uh, compete or you know we'll we'll have a we'll be playing meaningful games down the stretch like look at this top six um, you've got Kachuk <laughs> Norris Batherson uh, DeBrinket Stuce Sageru like I, I and y- yes there are some really good teams in the division um, but I I would put that top six up against uh, any other team's top six um, I really like the third line. Um, and yeah, of course, there are some question marks on D, but realistically, if they're um, pushing for a playoff spot or in a playoff spot at the trade deadline, um, at a minimum, you're making some moves to to improve that D. So um, I I am fully on board the playoff train. Uh, I think I think it happens.
0: I'm starting to talk myself into it a little more too. I, I think you know this is probably a good time for the the one thing I wanted to hit on was realistic expectations for this team and. I still think they are a tier, a clear tier below, like the Panthers, Leafs, and Lightning, as you know, regular season teams. And I'm not saying they they couldn't beat any of those teams because obviously any of them could. You know, have some regression. Like the Leafs, for I I think the Leafs still have a good team, especially the one absolutely built for regular season success. But let's be honest, a lot of their players had career years last year. Now, some of that might be balanced out that the fact that they also had like eight ninety goaltending for half the year. Um, and, and honestly, like, I know, you know, we, we like to joke that they picked up Matt Murray or whatever, but I think Sam is a pretty good, uh, um, option as well as, as a bounce back candidate. So, you know, I, I think the Leafs, Panthers, you know, Panthers, I think will regress a little bit. I think it's overstated a little bit by people, how much they might struggle. Um, you know, their defense scares me a little bit too, but I think that's more of a playoff issue than it is a regular season issue. Um, and then the lightning or the lightning. I mean, I don't really have to explain that, but with Boston, like half their team is injured for the first like two months of the season. So I, I really do think I'm a little more worried because they brought back, you know, Krejci and Bergeron where it looked like both of those guys might be missing at one point. Um, But still, like I, I think Boston could take a bit of a step back to where, you know, everyone's saying, it's like, well, every team in the, the East last year had a hundred points, like is Ottawa seven or 30 points better than they were last season. It's like, Well, no, but they don't need to be because the last year was the first time in league history that all eight teams in the conference making the playoffs had 100 points or more. Like That's just not going to happen again. So, you know, like Ottawa has to be, and it is still a massive improvement of like, if I say Ottawa only has to be 22 points better or whatever. But I, I really do think that between Boston and honestly, I'm not sold on the Metro being Amazing either. I think the Hurricanes will be good. I think the Rangers will be good, especially because it's just Uh, I think the Penguins will be good, but I'm also not sold on both the Penguins and Capitals continuing their regular season success because their entire core is just getting a year older. You know, like I would bet on the Penguins before the Capitals probably, but like I'm not sold either. Those teams are amazing. And then I don't think the Islanders, like, they they had a down year last year, but they still had a 928 goaltender, I think, in in Sorokin. 925, something insane like that. So, like, and then I don't really think Columbus, New Jersey, or Philly are all, they're good good teams, but I think Ottawa can absolutely compete and beat any of those guys. So, I I do think that, you know, playoffs should be a realistic expectation. I go back and forth on whether I really do think it is going to be um, something that happens, maybe. But I, I really do think that that's they need to be around the playoff hunt come the deadline for sure. Uh, with that being said, let's move to another part. Uh, you know, another move that the Sens made over the past week or two here, and you know, a, a part that I think will you know play a part, big part in this team season, and, and you know, not a crucial part as obviously as a guy like Stutz love but. Eric Branstrom signs a, a deal with Auto Centers, one year, nine hundred k, very much a prove it contract kind of thing. Um, I was, I wasn't, I was a little surprised with how low. I was expecting more in the, the range of like one mil, one point two mil um, kind of deal. But that, I kind of look back on it, and the sense is really like Branstrom hasn't played much in the NHL. It kind of like he has one hundred and sixteen games played, and um, the craziest part about that is he still is only twenty two years old. Like, he he feels like he's been in this organization for half a decade plus now. And, you know, so he's only 22. gets a one-year 900K deal. I think it's very fair to say that this is his absolute last chance year in Ottawa. And if they either... If if they don't see something that they like, he'll probably be moved or moved on from either at the deadline, maybe that's where an upgrade, a piece to upgrade the V-Core comes from, or in the summer. I just, like... And I don't know what your opinion is on Branchstrom as well. I think he's maybe been a little miscast by the organization slash. So obviously the expectations have been probably unrealistic just because of who he was traded for, but it's clear that they don't exactly see a fit with him long-term in the organization, I think. Um, so this is kind of the last year he has to, to prove that he can change that.
1: Yeah. You remember in, uh, in the spring of 20 still, yes still winter 2017 at the trade deadline, the sends were, for a playoff spot yet they still um, managed to trade Curtis Lazar to the Calgary flames. You know, I think we could be looking at a pretty similar situation uh, like that with Eric Brandstrom. I think, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a very team friendly contract. $900,000 is very low. So I think there's a decent chance that some other teams could, could view that pretty favorably um, with the Sens. Defense, you're looking at if Jake Sanderson is what we think he is, um, then you're looking at Brandstrom at best on the third pairing, and you wonder, you know, I think I think Brandstrom he can put it together and I think he could be a pretty solid bottom pairing guy that gets some power play minutes. Um, but when you're slotted behind Shabbat and Sanderson, I kind of wonder whether those power play minutes will even be available. Um, so, it's, I don't know if it's the right fit uh, for him on this team. Uh, and I think his days are certainly numbered. Uh, saying that, I would like it if they gave him a shot on his right side. Um, I think it, when he's been there, he's played much better. Uh, I think it's been a noticeable improvement, uh, even though I know DJ Smith is not a fan of players playing on their offside. Uh, I think Branstrom looked a lot better there. Uh, and then um, you could get kind of creative we um, pair him with, he's looked pretty good with Nick and I'd like to see that uh, pairing uh, rekindled. Um, But I'd say barring uh, some kind of sudden surge, um, his days with the with the Sens are probably numbered.
0: Yeah, I have to agree. And it, it's a shame because uh, as you said, I, I really do think, you know, even if he's not the top four guy that people projected him to be, I think he'd be a, a very capable bottom pair defenseman for this team for a number of years to come. And I, I'm a, in agreement as well as, I don't understand why they don't play him on his right side a little more. I thought in the very small sample size we had, I I liked him and Shabbat kind of playing together for a couple games and I'd be totally okay. Trying to see that again, excuse me this year, because that would allow Zub to go down and play with Sanderson. Whereas I don't really think it sounds like Sanderson and Hamannick are going to play together and poor Sanderson for that, you know, like we're really going to see what he's made of early because, you know, I know people wanted Hamannik to work out even when he was an Ottawa center last year, his numbers just weren't good. And, and, you know, they haven't been good for a number of years, but um, yeah, I think honestly, it probably, you know, you mentioned if Sanderson is who we think he is, Sanderson's play probably determines Branch's future with this team this year, at least I think, you know, if Sanderson truly is that top four defenseman, we think he is, and he steps in and shows that right away. I absolutely think we could see Branstrom flipped at the deadline, either for an upgrade on defense, or as you said, like a Curtis Lazar type move where you know you flip him for I think it was a second round pick, and then either you just keep that second round pick or you know, or third, whatever whatever gets, I don't know, but either you keep that pick for the future, you know, and, and that's just a future asset, or you even flip that maybe, and that's the asset that you use, say, to go get your right-hand defense upgrade that you were looking for at the deadline, right? So or the
1: dump he decides to.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. Um. So it, it's one of those things where, yeah, I really think the play of Jake Sanderson might actually, um, kind of seal Brent from Straight with this team. Um, which is a bit of a shame. You know, I, I'm not against moving him completely. Like, if you can get what you think is good value for it, I'm okay with it because at the end of the day, like, I am touting this guy as a good third pair defenseman. That should be a pretty easy thing to find when you're you're being realistic about it like there's some guys that signed ptos the other day like calvin nahan's a perfect example you could probably find a calvin nahan type guy to play on your third pair just about every year it's just about actually identifying the right players and doing it you know it's not about actually having to worry about giving them the money in my opinion so um you know i'm not against trading him but i do hope that they give him a fair shot whether that's give him a chance as, you know, the, the third pair left-handed D, see what he can do, and if you like him in a, a more limited role, or whether that's moving him to his right side. You say, as you said, playing him with Nick Holden, or, you know, maybe playing him up with Shabbat, or, or you know, I like what they did at times last year when they put him on the right side. Play him with Holden for most of the time, but when you need really some offense getting sparked, put him and Shabbat together and double shift Shabbat. Um, you know, I, I thought they, they did that a couple of times last year and I really liked that the offense had sparked a ton. So, um, you know, that might be another option. I just hope they give them a fair shake over the first 30 or 40 games, because I, I do still think, you know, at 22 years old, there's still untapped potential in Eric brenstone
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I hope um, for nothing more than for him to, to blossom into uh, a really solid uh, offensive defenseman. Um, my fear is just that it doesn't happen in Ottawa.
0: Yeah, and you know, it's kind of looking more and more likely that that might be the case, which you know is unfortunate, but um, that's just the way it goes sometimes, so it'll be interesting to keep an eye on that. But um, at the very least, 900k is great value for this year, and um, you know, it'll be interesting to see where where they go from here. And I guess I should say, he is 23 now, he's not uh, uh, he just turned 23 nine days ago, so um.
1: Yeah. I blame uh,
0: you for that one. Yeah. I think mean, it's 22 in my head, but um, I, the, the one last thing I wanted to touch on too, and we've kind of already talked about it, but um, you know, I, I think the, you kind of hit on it correctly um, when you said that I think a trade mid season is probably the most likely way to upgrade this defense. But um, we both said that we expect, you know, competing for playoffs, if not making a playoff spot should be the expectation. Do you think this decor is realistically good enough to do that? Um, Even realistically good enough to get through the first 50 odd games, assuming they play both sites of an Hamanick, like in the roster?
1: Uh, With Zaitsev, no, Um, definitely not. Um, And I'm kind of thinking the plan is to just kind of bury him at this point. Um, But if you look, otherwise, you're playing Shabbat, Zub, Sanderson, Hamanick, and then probably Branstrom Holden, unless one or one of JBD or Thompson uh, grab a spot, barring of of course uh, if they bring someone in uh, for a PTO. Um, but I think um, you know when when Dorian was on twelve hundred like a month ago or something, uh, he was talking about uh, he mentioned the core pieces on the D and then left out Zaitsev, and he made the point that um, the best defenseman will make the team. So I think there's a, there's a um, that's kind of acknowledging the reality that Nikita Zaitsev is not a top six D uh, on this team anymore. And so I think some combination on the right side, if you're looking, um, Zub, Hamannick, Branstrom, JBD Thompson, I think out of that, you can probably assemble something decent, something that can get you through, um, you know, the first half of the season. And, um, I'm, you know, at some point, right, JVD or Thompson have to step up, I think. Um, you know, JVD was drafted the same year as Kachuk, which feels a bit weird. Uh, Thompson is 2019 pick. So um, the clock's ticking on those guys. Um, and I, I'm optimistic that they can step up and take a spot. But, um, I mean, worst case scenario, you, you make a trade. So I, the thing I like about it is that they, they haven't really painted themselves into a corner here. Um, they have some flexibility to make moves. Um, so I think um, despite the, the fact that it's not an optimal defense, uh, what was the term that DJ Smith, um, he said it was an adequate uh, group on the back end. Uh, so I think some combination of the, the for sure guys and some of the question mark guys will be, will be okay. But of course, uh, I'm running on a lot of optimism bias here. Um, who knows, could be a disaster. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think the biggest thing for success for, you know, the decor, I think, A, they can absolutely get by it if they use their pieces right. I, I think all the the pieces are there to have at least, you know, as you said, or as DJ said, an adequate defense. I don't think there's probably not a world unless Jake Sanderson steps in and is immediately a top like 20, top 30 defense yeah, where it's good, right? Or like above that. Great, I should say. I don't think it's a great defense core by any means, but I do think that if Zaitsev is out of the lineup, which I'm cautiously optimistic because I'm hoping that the insane usage of him at points in the last year or two was maybe to just, A, the team was rebuilding anyways, and B, maybe even to just try and build his value, although I think that probably did a negative job, (laughs) if you ask me, Uh, but it it did really seem like DJ loved him at times in past years, so I'm, I'm a little... Cautious that they did a full 180 on him in the off season, or at least the coach, because it's clear. I think it's been one of the worst kept secrets that the Ottawa centers have actively tried to move done done just as everything they can to try and move him and his contract this this off season. Um, you know, basically since the Debrinka trade, it was rumored that moving Zaitsev's contract has been priority number one for Dorian. Um, so uh, I, I do hope that you know if they they can healthy scratch him and use him as a seventh d or or do what they did with those and bury him in the minors until you can find a a different route for him. I do hope that's the case because I think this makes like just not having him play in the top four. And this sounds bad, but it just makes your decor already just so much better by subtracting that. Um, And that's whether, you know, whether Holden plays or JBD or Thompson. I really liked what I saw to both JBD and Thompson in, you know, small stretches. It was clear they still needed a little more work and getting consistency, but I don't know how to get that consistency if you can't get the NHL games under you as well. Right. Like a lot of their issues just kind of felt like game, like situations where, yeah, if you give them some more games played. They probably don't make that same defensive mistake where, or, you know, they don't, they don't make that pinch that leads to a two on one or whatever back the other way. Right. Um, so I, I think either of those guys would be fine candidates. And then the other big question I have when it comes to, can this decor be good enough is I think what, you know, what kind of role does Travis Hamanick play? Because if he's like their second or third most used defenseman, I still think they're going to be in a little trouble. Um, You can get around one bad defenseman, but I think, you know, I'm hoping, and this is a very big hope, but I'm hoping by the end of the year, we see a, a blue line where Zaitsev is not in the lineup at all. And Hamanick at worst is the sixth most used defenseman. You know, if you, if you want to use him on the PK, fine. Like, I don't think he's great on the PK. I don't think he's quite the liability on the PK as he is at 5-on-5, five five, though. So, you know, but I, I just – I hope they're not trying to force him into, like, a cc fnaf shutdown kind of role um, like they did, you know, with those guys back in the day Um, because it's just – I don't think he has the talent for that. I mean, he's shown over the past couple of years, all his results on multiple teams have shown that he's just – not the player he was four, five, six years ago, you know? So um, I, I think those are the two really big factors into making this decor go from the by far the biggest question mark of this team to, yeah, this is fine. You can absolutely get by with this.
1: Yeah. And like you've already acknowledged, I think so much of this um, hinges on whether Sanderson is as advertised or if he needs a bit more time. Um, from all accounts, it looks like he's going to be something pretty special. Um, but yeah, I think with Hamannick, yeah, ideally he's not in the top four spot by the end of the year. Um, it's, it's really interesting. Like there, there could be a lot of moving pieces, uh, on this D, um, a lot of question marks because, you know, what's Hamannick's role? We, we've already touched on Branstrom, uh, Zaitsev. We don't even know if he's, you know, in that group anymore. Uh, and then, you know, who knows how JVD and Thompson, uh, show up to camp. So. Uh, It'll be, I don't think we're going to stop talking about the the D group any anytime soon. I think this will be a, a topic of discussion for um, the, the entire season, if not beyond that. So um, it's a, it'll be a fun one to follow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think with, you know, the four group, it's so good now where it's like, unless they're doing something crazy where like Austin Watson's playing in the top six, you know, I think basically any combination of the top nine forwards they have, people are going to be okay with you know like because yeah. honestly like they're all so skilled that you can you can really move it a, a bunch of different ways if you want to stack that top six and play your classic uh norris batherson line and then to brink it, stutzla drew and then obviously i mean we don't know what's happening with Formanton yet obviously with his hockey canada stuff um but f- assuming they are playing Foreman P- pinto and joseph on that third line you know you could also move a guy like joseph up maybe a couple lines if you want to spread your firepower out and put like a Drake Batherson down on a third line and try and get that scoring a bit more. Um, But, you know, like generally whatever they do with those lines, I think people are going to be pretty okay with on the decor. I think it's going to be a lot more talking because, you know, as we've kind of mentioned, if Hamannick is playing up in the lineup or, or, you know, there's certain guys playing over other guys, it's going to be definitely a lot more contentious, I think, among the fan base, but it'll be interesting to see. Um, The one other thing I wanted to touch on and just kind of, I'm curious to get everyone's opinion on this because, you know, I, I think it's, to me, I'm assuming they're kind of split as a tandem, but um, how would you handle the goaltending duo this year? And how do you think DJ Smith will handle it? Uh,
1: so I think Anton Forsberg uh, gets the first start of the year for sure. I think uh, he is, um, you know, the, the 1A guy until proven otherwise. Um, but at the same time, I think you look at Camp Talbot, um, he played, what, over 50 games last year, correct? Um, he's, you know, shown that he can do it as well. Uh, so I think it's a classic one, a one B situation. Uh, but with the way Forsberg, um, you know, played last year, the stability that he finally gave this group, uh, in goal, uh, it's a great story from all accounts. He's, you know, a really hard worker. Uh, I think that he definitely gets the benefit of the doubt here. He's also the one who's locked up, uh, for another three years. So, um, I would, Say that he's the the starting goalie, but it's uh, it's it's you know n- not uh, a, a for sure thing, right? Uh, camp Talbot is uh, looks very capable, and he's uh, mostly um, like he could maybe get the job done too. So uh, Forsberg to to start, and then uh, I guess maybe we end up in a Corey Cluston, uh, whoever uh, wins stays in type situation yeah
0: i i think that's how they should and probably will handle it as well where you just kind of ride the hot hand yeah. um you know and, and whoever's playing well you know and the same thing that goes with talbot but you know if, if forsberg plays well he gets two or three starts in a row and then you mix in a talbot start but if forsberg struggles for a start or two and and talbot looks a little better start him for two or three games in a row you know i i, I wouldn't be shocked at all if you know the games played comes down to like a 46 36 split right down even closer to that maybe like right down the middle because you know the reason Cam Talbot wanted out of Minnesota is he was mad he lost the starter's job to Flurry. Um, so I don't think he's coming here expecting to be a peer backup. And, and I don't think the Sens wanted that either, you know, like, um, you know, the, the Forsberg story absolutely was amazing this year. And I agree with you. He's earned the first start of the year. Um, you know, he, he should be their opening night starter. Um, but also I think people would admit this is, you know, Last year was the first time we saw any kind of sustained success from Forsberg. So, you know, that's part of the reason they want to bring in Talbot as just a bit of a safer backup option for maybe this guy can't start 48 games, 50 games kind of reliably because not a lot of goalies can, to be honest, this year. So um, I, I really do think it'll be a hot hand kind of thing where, you know, they they play whoever's playing better. And, and honestly, even you know if both of them are playing good, I wouldn't be surprised to see, you know, one of them start for two games, the other start for two games, or they go one and one for a little bit and try and, uh, you know, depending on the workload and how many games they have in a week as well. So, um, yeah, I I, I agree with you. I think Forsberg will be the starter, but I really do think it'll be – like, I'd be shocked unless, again, one of them gets injured or one of them just flat-out sucks. But I don't really foresee the latter happening. I'd be pretty shocked if either one of them started more than, like, 48 games.
1: Yeah. Uh, I would, I would say the same, but it's uh, I really like bringing Talbot in as a, as a safety net. Uh, I really kind of would have been a, a bit concerned if we were running into the season with Forsberg and Gustafson or, you know, Forsberg and Murray. Uh, so um, I'm pretty optimistic about this tandem. I think it should be, uh, should provide some nice stability for the group. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah. I don't think it's a tandem that's going to like steal a ton of games or anything, but I don't think it's going to cost them a ton of games. And their four group is good enough now, where I think that's just kind of what they need. They just need a nice, stable goaltending core that is going to keep them in games and, you know, provide the big save when you need it or whatever. But you know, you don't need them to be a Shostakin type goalie or anything where they're playing nine thirty for you to to win games.
1: Yeah, and combined, they're only making six point four two million, so it's uh, it's not a huge uh, commitment there. Of course, I guess they're also paying. Uh, Matt Murray, 1.5 on top of that, but still mm. you're not paying a ton of money for your goaltending, which is which is always nice. And then after Talbot's done this year, you've got the flexibility to you know maybe maybe Matt Sogard, um, you know, ends up playing 10 games or something this year, uh, which which could be fun. Maybe he uh, he shows that he's ready to take that next step for next year. So uh, I like the flexibility that this gives the team. Uh, and uh, you know, worst case scenario after this year, you maybe re-sign Talbot or you. Uh, Bringing another guy on a one or two year contract, so it's uh, I think it's a it's a nice little situation they found themselves in.
0: Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Um, the only cool listener question uh, listener question we had was from a Leafs fan. I don't know, uh, if I, I don't know if you talked to him before or not, but he goes, does he think the Sens will finish higher than the Leafs? I'll get to your official prediction. Who finishes higher in the regular season standings? Ottawa or Toronto? Uh,
1: regular season, we'll give it to the Leafs um see they meet in the playoffs you're going stands all the way though
0: yes i, I I'll, I'll agree with that you know the vibes are just too good that uh, um i think that I, twitter would melt down if they met in the playoffs but also it would be such an insane matchup
1: i'm really worried like if if it ends up being a Sens least first round matchup i'm really concerned about my ability to manage my time like i'm going to be trying to submit like a big uh, basically a thesis at that time. And like, if it sends least for children, like it's, that's going to take up like so much of my attention span. It's I, I really don't need that to happen this year, but uh, if it does happen, sends are taking it. So um, yeah. It uh, I,
0: I remember back in 2017, Twitter, the two Twitter, Sensor and release Twitter almost broke each other down just at the thought of playing each other because it looked yeah. like it might happen for like three weeks in March and April but um, no it, it should be uh, that would be absolutely insane if it did happen and what a way to kickstart a rivalry if it did but oh, yeah. um, the only other question I had I think is is there any you know surprise players you think might have a, a chance at cracking this roster and, and making a difference you know like do you think a guy like even Ridley Gregg, or um you know igor uh, sokolov do you think any of those guys that you know we've seen play in the minors in the ahl do you think any of them have a chance to make the team this year and if so do you think any of them could be obviously not like a star player but a bit of a difference maker than you know maybe more than maybe we thought they would be
1: well i don't know if it's really a surprise to think that really greg uh, could make this team especially with the uncertainty surrounding uh, alex formanton who doesn't have a contract and is of course uh, was a member of the Team Canada team. Um, so that's a, certainly a bit of a question mark there and could maybe open up a spot uh, for Ridley Gray to take that third line uh, left wing spot. Um, other than that, I think, um, and you know, maybe he's already kind of penciled in too, uh, I think Mark Kastelik uh, could be a really good option to slot in at the fourth line centre rule. Um, of course, Dylan Gambrell probably has that right now, but I think that's a really good, uh, battle for that for that spot between those two uh, i think i was really impressed by castlic like, down the stretch i think uh, going forward he's you know that i think he he looks like a pretty ideal fourth line center wins faceoffs uh big body plays physical uh, competes well so uh, i think he could potentially um take one of those spots other than that like the forward group is pretty solidified we already talked about the top six you've got Pinto is obviously in the third line spot with Joseph on the right. And then um, on the, the bottom pairing, um, sounds like Parker Kelly's already penciled in for that, that left wing spot. Um, so that center is kind of available with Gambrell, Castlick. And then on the right side, uh, I think Austin Watson still has that spot. So uh, nothing really on uh, the forwards aside from those two. And then on the D, like we already talked about, there's already so many question marks. I hope that JBD or Thompson steps up. I think that would be a really nice bonus. Um, but otherwise, if we're just looking for for guys that you know kind of impress us in in training camp or preseason. Uh, I'm really anxious to see out uh, Angus Cruikshank, um, especially with uh, with how last season went for him, where he didn't play any games. Uh, it could be potentially fun. Um, looking forward to seeing Zach Osimchuk in some preseason games. Um, but other what other than that, like I, I don't think there's a spot for Igor Sokolov on this team this year. Um, I hope he goes down to the AHL and dominates, um, maybe he gets a couple NHL games in if there's some injuries, um, same with Victor Loden. Um, I hope he gets a few games. I, I really like him. Uh, just the most like improbable, he's a fourth round pick, right? So, um, if he ends up playing a handful of games, that's, that's all gravy for me. I would, I would have lots of fun with that. So, um, like we already said, like the, the prospect pool remains full so um it's uh it's an exciting time going forward for sure
0: yeah absolutely i think you know austin watson's a shoe in to probably be injured for 20 or 30 games just <laughs> how physical but uh, you know how, how many shots he blocks how physical the game he plays so I, I wouldn't be surprised if that fourth line right wing spot opens up for a couple games throughout the year and that's where i think much like last year, we could see a guy like uh, Sokolov come up and or, you know, say Matthew Joseph goes down and they want a little more skill maybe up the lineup. Um, yeah. You know, that's where we can see uh, players like Sokolov kind of come up and take that jump for, you know, get their cup of tea in the NHL. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, you know, with the exception of maybe Ridley-Greg, I, I think the, the forward core looks pretty set and then there's going to be all three fourth line spots. I think Austin Watson will probably start as the fourth line right wing but even by the end of the year I think all three fourth line spots are going to be just who's running the hot hand who's you know helping this team the most and and much like last year you know we saw times where like Adam Gaudet was getting healthy scratched and I thought he was like their ninth best forward so um you know I, I think it's just kind of a what it might become down to a what have you done for me recently kind of thing and and, you know, maybe it, it depends if they want to try and form a quote-unquote identity with that fourth line. But, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, you, you kind of hit the, the nail on the head there where I, I don't think there should be too many shock names coming up. Um, you know, obviously it could happen, but I, wouldn't, uh, I, I won't be holding my breath for someone to come out of absolutely nowhere and start dominating or anything like that.
1: Yeah, but I, I like that fourth line. I mm-hmm. think uh, it has uh, – Everything you need in the fourth line with with Kelly, maybe Castellick and Watson. I think it's, they're, they're fast. They, they're physical. Um, I like them.
0: Yeah, and I think they've done a, a pretty good job of just kind of getting some depth for it too, you know, because, again, like with how physical they play, it shouldn't shock anyone if one or two of them get hurt for part of the year or whatever. And, you know, they have names like Dylan Gambrell shouldn't be a regular NHL player, but if he's your 13th or 14th forward, you're okay with that you know sure. come in and play a couple games here same with uh, JC Harlick you know he just signed a contract if you need yeah. to call him up for a couple games you know obviously you probably don't want him playing for like 50 plus games or anything but if he's got to play four games cuz Austin Watson blocked a shot with his ankle or something like that you're more than okay with that. And, you know, you can sub those guys in without that fourth line losing its identity or whatever, right? So I think they've done a pretty good job at, you know, building some depth up to make sure that even if they do run into injuries, especially on that bottom line, that they'll be okay. And then, um, you know, obviously you just hope everyone can, the the key players up front and on the defense core can stay healthy because, you know, if those guys start getting hurt, any team's going to be, you know, pretty screwed anyway. So.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The the depth is certainly uh, a strong suit for this team, I think.
0: Yeah, I would agree. Um, thank you so much for joining me. I think that's all I got, um, you know, plug some stuff. Where can people find you or anything you do?
1: Um, my Twitter is at Steve on Sens, and then uh, I kind of moderate uh, the Sens lore uh, wiki. So, if you uh, want to check out uh, any articles about obscure things in Sense history, that's kind of where to find it. So, uh, either of those spots.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Go check it out. Can't recommend it enough. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me and I'll absolutely have to have you on again uh, later down the season when we actually got games to talk about as well.
1: Yeah, it was a blast. always love talking Sends. So uh, looking forward to the season and uh, go Sends go.
0: Thank you so much to Steve for joining me today. Uh, As always, it's an absolute blast getting to record and I'm very happy uh, he could join. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. As always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and Stuff or at Last Word on Sends is the podcast account. Uh, you can also find my other podcast, the MM Hockey Podcast. Uh, anywhere you listen to this one chase and i have been going through our top 20 centers defensemen wingers and goalies rankings and we are now actually starting our season preview so uh we did the central division last week and are going to be switching on to the pacific uh metro and then obviously atlantic as well so you can get my uh nhl takes there or the the league wide takes there um as for this podcast i'm gonna start ramping it up again i uh Took the, the month of August off, and I want to get back to doing a, a couple, probably a bi-weekly, maybe every three weeks for the the month of September here, uh, as there probably isn't going to be a ton to talk about in training camp. I don't find analyzing the, the details of training camp down to the last uh, last little detail the most uh, needed thing. But um, as there is more to talk about, I definitely plan on having people on. And if there's anyone you want to listen to on the podcast um, you know, please let me know so I can try and reach out to them and, and I'm always looking forward. I'm always looking for more guest recommendations. So, um, thank you everyone so much for listening and as always, I will talk to you next time.